Wow. I just have to say that this whole week for me has been an extraordinary time. I am still on cloud nine from ordination last Monday. But I want to tell you a story. You know, my family came, the majority of my family came to see me being ordained, my dad and my two brothers and their family. And after ordination, my brother said, they made a mistake in ordaining you. I said, what do you, you mean by that? And he goes, they have no idea how you tortured me growing up. God's grace. So back in February, the bishop's number showed up on my caller ID, and I have to admit, I was afraid. I mean, when the bishop calls, you answer. There's no rhyme or reason. You just answer the phone. I don't even answer every time my own family calls. But on that cold day, I answered the phone. It was in February. Sitting in my car, the bishop asked me to preach for annual conference, and I said yes. So I want to acknowledge Bishop Graves this morning for that opportunity and for me not having to write another sermon for today. It was an honor not only to stand before our annual conference during our time in Montgomery, but during that moment, in, we witness the movement of the Holy Spirit. We witness dynamic worship. We witness powerful preacher preaching. And as a beloved community, our theme challenged us in every way. And I want to bring that challenge to you right now. And the challenge is for us to imagine a church that is the hope of the world. So with a show of hands, how many of you believe that we serve a God who is a God of freedom, possibilities, and transformation? How many of you believe we serve a God who creates space for healing, uprightness, and wholeness? How many of you believe wherever Jesus is, things can be made new? So now I'm perplexed. If we believe that God is transformational, then at what point will love prevail? And we as a people of faith commit to naming and seeking healing for the deeply embedded systems, isms, and biases that are hindering us all from living into the fullness of God. On this a.m., particularly this a.m. on my first Sunday as an elder in full connection, I've been reflecting upon the ebb and flow of my journey up to this very moment. I was a cute little girl with four brothers, and I was told when you grow up, you can be or do anything your little heart desires. I was also told you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Or in other words, who runs the world? Girls. I grew up believing I could absolutely do anything. 
That is, until I committed to answering the call into ordained ministry. This is when I began to hear, oh, you can do anything but that. I am the bent-over woman. Our text this morning, to say the least, is a work of art nestled between two parables where the shaping of the narrative is silent enough for personal interpretation and yet carries the freedom for imagination. Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath, and this is the last mention in Luke of Jesus' presence in the synagogue. In the midst of his teaching, Out of nowhere, an unnamed woman appears. She has been crippled for 18 years. She is bent over and is unable to stand up straight. And though the passage is silent on this, we can surmise she was alone during her synagogue visit. No one was mentioned being with her. She was unmarried. She was not mentioned as the wife of such-and-such. She was an outcast due to her 18-year affliction attributed to Satan. Yet this bent-over woman had a relationship with God. During her lifetime, there were no concrete, tarred sidewalks or Uber to take her around. She spent years looking down at the dirt, the mud and the manure kicked up by animals and those who traveled through the area in which she lived. I can only imagine her level of frustration when she needed help or strained to see the beauty of the sky, things we take advantage of. This unknown woman spent 18 years looking at the feet of those around her, and her optical view of life was restricted. In my mind, if anyone deserves a healing in the biblical text, it is this unknown woman who is known to us. It makes sense that Jesus, who consistently displayed sympathy and concern for those who did not live a life of privilege, Jewish or otherwise, would call her forth and proclaim, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. Unlike many of the other healings in the gospel, this woman did not petition Jesus on her behalf. And nor does anyone petition Jesus on her behalf. I mean, we've gotten to the point where we know Jesus can utter a word and a healing takes place without the afflicted person ever having to be present. So it seems, and it saddens me, and it resonates with me, that for a time in her life, not only was she resigned to looking down, or at least slightly forward. Her community present in the synagogue, present in the church, did nothing to bring her hope nor fill a need. So let's talk for a moment. Needs are not just for housing, clean water, 
food and clothing. Needs are also about quality of life. When Jesus touched this woman, he not only healed her body, he gave her quality of life and restored her back to a community who shunned her. It wasn't just about her standing up straight. It was and is about love. Quality of life extends beyond the basics. And Jesus proves over and over and over again that his love and care for us takes precedence over rights, rituals, and social systems. And because of his care, we are called to care for God's people and restore them back to quality of life, no matter who they are, because it is the heart of our faith. Malcolm Gladwell describes the tipping point as a critical point in a situation, process, or system beyond which a significant and often unstoppable effect or change takes place. He also says the little things we do make a big difference. Friends, look at our church. We are at a tipping point. Every little thing you say, every little thing you do in the life of the church, whether good, bad, or indifferent, makes a big difference. Thirteen years ago, I was compelled to answer God's call on my life. And over this 13-year time period, my beloved church told me I couldn't pastor because I'm a woman. I couldn't pastor because I'm divorced. Because I'm a single parent and would be time-consuming. Women, women should be silent. Women should only teach children. Women are not equipped to handle the needs of the church. I was told because there were only certain places I could go that I should not move forward because of the melanin in my skin. Whether you know it or not, I am the bent-over woman. Those in the synagogue could physically see this woman's ailment. And here in the church, we can physically see people's ailments. But what happens when those we love and care about are bent over from the pressures of the world and we cannot see that they're actually bent over? Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, my uncle Philip and countless others. Some are in our families and many more are in our community, bent over from hopelessness, bent over in depression and being told, all you have to do is pray more or seek a deeper faith, when instead we should guide people toward help and the love of Christ. It's hard to stand up straight when our beloved church plays a part in keeping us bent over. When the church has a tendency to get caught up by placing form 
all the rights and privileges before substance, God's abundant grace, forgiveness, and love. And where we proclaim God's abundant grace and love, God does win. We are standing at the tipping point where the little things we do make a big difference. How we show love, how we connect with one another, how we embrace our differences while allowing others to live their truth. I'm not talking about taking $5 and placing the little extra money into the offering plate. I'm saying taking the $5 and having coffee with someone who does not look like you, live where you live, or even speak your same social language. And of course, committing to do this every single month. Building an inclusive relationship and expanding your social sphere while letting people know they are beloved by God. This Luke passage goes beyond the healing of the bent over woman and the response of the synagogue leader. It's about a small gesture that made a big difference. See, Jesus, after he healed her, restored her quality of life. He restored her back into a community that no longer shunned her for her differences. During this time in history, and I would even say at times now, because of her infirmity, people were afraid to touch her for fear the demonic spirit which they believed crippled her would cripple them as well. For fear that they simply would catch whatever she had. For fear that someone who's divorced or single cannot counsel or marry someone else. I am the bent over woman. And we are all standing at the tipping point. During my journey, for every person that told me you can't, God sent more people to say, yes, you can. For every time I felt discouraged, God sent someone to encourage me. For every time I questioned my call, my preaching, my teaching and pastoring, God sent someone to say, you're gifted and you are called. Dear ones, in this moment, can we truly imagine a church that is the hope for the world? With God's help, yes, we can. Whenever an ordination question was asked, all the ordinands would answer in front of the body. The bishop would ask questions like, will you be faithful in prayer or lead the God, the people of God to faith in Jesus Christ? And we would answer, yes, I will, comma, with God's help. So I ask you again, can we truly imagine a church that is the hope of the world? Yes, we can.
with God's help. And like the people in the synagogue rejoicing in all the wonderful things that God is doing, Jesus is calling us to wholeness, and we can stand erect and straight in him. When we proclaim to one another to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are all the bent over woman. When we are standing at the tipping point and being challenged, we can imagine a church that is the hope of the world. It is through healing and uprightness, wholeness and testifying to God's mighty acts that we become less human-minded and more kingdom-focused. We are at the tipping point. Walt Disney employs this wonderful creative department where teams are deployed as imagineers. Imagineers are engineers who imagine, create, and design new theme parks and attractions. Not that I'm implying ministry is like a roller coaster ride, or the church is for that matter as well. But what I am implying is that we are God's imagineers. Not only are we equipped to imagine that the church is the hope of the world, we are already created by God to be the church that is the hope of the world. If only we can get out of our own way and seek God's healing. Theologian Emily Townsend says, we are all like the woman, bent over and unable to look up and see the sun. We know only the dust and dirt underneath our feet. We struggle to see the path before us by straining and twisting because we cannot look straight ahead. To ask for healing helps us to step into Jesus' invitation to mend our souls. We mend our relationships with our mothers, our sisters, our brothers, our friends, our neighbors, each other, and creation. There will be times when we will know this in ways that are too profound for words and reason. There will also be times when God seems far off and the pathway unclear, but seeking healing we must. We are inheritors, you and me, of the gift of healing for this bent of woman who stood up straight and began praising God. Imagine a church that is the hope of the world where we are no longer afraid to speak out against the biases and the isms that control our life, but not with strangers within our own families. Imagine a church where we are the beloved community and we are the hope of the world. And one final thing. When you're standing at the tipping point as the bent-over woman, 
the best is yet to come because all things are possible with God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the bent-over woman and what she teaches us. Continue to show us the areas in our life where we are also bent over and we seek healing from you. Continue to show us a community that is bent over, that needs healing from us so we can no longer imagine being the church that provides hope of the world, but let us be the church who is and is being the hope of the world. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 154, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. As we sing, those persons wishing to unite with Dolphin, we are invited to come forward and speak with our pastor during a singing.